Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Good morning. Thanks for joining us here for our online services at LifePoint. We're in week three of our series on failing forward. And in this series, we've looked at some failures from key individuals in Scripture and how their decisions are relevant to the failures that we experience just about every day. You see, to fail forward, it's to learn from our mistakes so that they ultimately help you make progress toward becoming like Jesus. In week one, we talked about Moses and how uh, he failed because he continually relied on his own, or focused on his own insecurities and shortcomings rather than trusting God's power and provision. Last week, Derek taught us about Aaron uh, giving in to the demands of the people around him rather than doing what he knew was right. And our response in these occasions is understanding more our connection to God and his purposes for us. And I really love how Derek framed this, uh, this quote when we started the series. It said, it takes a wise person to learn from their mistakes, but it takes an even wiser person to learn from the mistakes of others. For this week, what I want to do is I want to take another example in scripture and look at it from a little different point of view. The failure that we're going to look at today is not a normal failure of just falling short when you need to. Today is a bit of a failure that I'm calling heart failure. Today we're going to talk about Jonah's story. In short, what makes Jonah unique in Scripture is the explicit way that Jonah ran from God. It's a story that I know we can all relate to uh, as we've all run from God. And for those runners out there, if you're watching, I'm sure that you'll agree that when you run from God, you don't think you're going to outrun him. You know where the path leads. You know how it's going to go, the end of the story, but oftentimes that just doesn't stop us. And so no matter how far you've run from God or how often you run from God, when you catch up, when he catches up with you, excuse me, the great news is that he has a purpose and he has a plan for your life, even after you've failed or working through the failure, because God will often use your failure not to pay you back, but to bring you back. If you're not a religious person or not a church person and you're here to, uh, watching today, first of all, I'm glad you joined us. Oftentimes, you know, maybe a family member wanted you to be a part of this or you're just doing it because you, you're wanting to check it out. But if you have always thought that the church was full of hypocrites, after today's story, uh, you're not gonna just think it, you're gonna be convinced you see, this passage that we're going to look like, it peels back the curtain where you can see my heart, and you can see the hearts of many who follow God and are forced to look at something that's often not very easy to look at. You see, of all the Old Testament accounts, this is probably the most convicting for me personally. You see, there's a little bit of Jonah in me, and I think there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. And so we're going to focus on the last part of the story, but just to recap and uh, getting us to where we're, what we're going to talk to today, Jonah's story begins when God tells uh, him, Jonah, that he wants Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh to tell this wicked city to turn from their ways. But instead of being obedient, Jonah t turns tail, does a 180, and he goes the whole other way. And so while running from God, uh, you know, Jonah gets on this ship, 
Uh, I'm not sure what he's thinking, but who knows what we're always thinking when we run from God. Uh, but God sent great storms while he was on that ship. And so through some process of deductive reasoning, uh, the people on the ship and Jonah figure out that the storms are there because of Jonah's disobedience. And so eventually they throw Jonah overboard. And then Jonah is saved in a way that I know is very unique in all of scripture. That's why Jonah probably rings a bell for you. He's swallowed by a big fish. Jonah goes on to spend three days in the fish, and, and you may think the pandemic has been difficult for you. Just imagine being Jonah through this season. This obviously gets Jonah's attention, and it turns him around. In an eloquent prayer in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah repents. Uh, Jonah basically says to God in verse 9, what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. So ultimately, he's telling God, I'm done running. I'm going to do what you have asked me. And so the fish, in the vivid language of Scripture, is commanded by God to literally vomit Jonah onto the shore. And so God says once again to him, go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. The good news, by the way, is that Jonah ran away from God when he was given an explicit command. So God says again to him, excuse me, but right here God is saying to Jonah, I'm not done with you yet. And that's good news for you and that's good news for me. And so this time Jonah obeys, he goes into Nineveh and the passage says that it was such a large city that it takes three days just to check it all out. Over 120,000 people, just such a big city for that time. And so Jonah journeys into the heart of the city and he gives God's message and he basically says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And I don't know about you, but when I hear about stories like that, you picture someone maybe in a sandwich board uh, you know, looking unkempt. Again, he just came out of the belly of the whale, so I'm sure he was pretty scary to begin with. Uh, some kind of sandwich board he's wearing saying the end is near. And usually when you see that, we've all encountered those kind of people in life, you think this isn't going to end well. But you see, this time was different. To his surprise, the Ninevites believed him. They believed God. And what happened immediately is the people there proclaimed a fast. And then word reached the king in Nineveh, and the king proclaimed that everyone should call urgently on God to give up their evil ways. And we see in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, that when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Like you and I would be, Jonah was shocked what God had asked him to do had worked. He wasn't expecting this one at all. And as unbelievable as it may sound that people would respond to this message, I want to give you a few things to help you understand why they may have. We know by way of history that around this time there was a total solar eclipse. And in that time, a solar eclipse was a bad omen. And then secondly, there were two or three tribes in nearby cities that formed a band of marauders, and they had been heading towards Nineveh around that time. And then also, within about a five-year period, two plagues, plagues had descended upon the area. And so by the time Jonah comes there, they were more ready than you would think. You see, as God often does when he asks us to be faithful, God was working behind the scenes. Again, who knows what Jonah looks like? I, I'm sure that helped. They scared him into submission. But 
When Jonah came and said, uh, the end is near, they believed him. And the lesson for us is that God is often working in the background to prepare people's hearts for his message. You see, there's people you know, and there's people I know, and we think, I could never talk to them about the Lord. I could never share Jesus with them. They're already happy, or they're content, or they're anti-Christian stuff, or they just wouldn't be interested. And we often think they wouldn't be interested, uh, and we think we could never talk to them. I could never invite them to church. I could never make an impact on them. But what we don't realize is so often that God could be working behind the scenes to change people's hearts. The truth is that God often works in the background to do his work and that we can get a prompting. You know, I need to invite her to church. I need to mention this. I need to serve them. I need to be available. These promptings he puts in our hearts. You know, think about your own story. For many of you, there was a time in your life where if I met you, I would think, I wouldn't be able to talk to them about Jesus. They're not interested. That's not something that is going to click with them because there was a time when most of us weren't interested. But isn't it true that God prepared us for the person who ultimately came along and explained it to us? He was working in the background. <clears throat> you know, I had a privilege of leading a rooted group here at LifePoint last year, uh, early last year at LifePoint, and just by way of promotion, if you have not gone into Rooted, do so. Sign up at the next opportunity. It can be a life-altering um, season for you. But one of the members of the group, <clears throat> her name is Lee, and she gave me permission to tell this story, uh, had a unique story that is relevant to what we're talking about. You see, for quite a while, God had been stirring something in her heart, leading her to seek him out. But the problem was, no one in her family had ever gone to church. So, she wanted more in this relationship, God, but she simply didn't know how to go about it. And you know, we take this so for granted, anyone who's grown up in church or around church, uh, so for granted that someone who had come would know exactly what to do, but she had no idea. She literally was like, can you just walk into a church anytime? That didn't make sense. I mean, do you call and get a reservation? And I say that ironically, because we'll be taking reservations once we start meeting publicly in this COVID era. You know, do I need a ticket to get into church is, is something that may have occurred to Lee, or do I have to be brought by someone who already goes there? And so for a couple of years, God was stirring in her something, and she was desperate, you know, to find Christ and desperate for a Christian to reach out to her and to open this door for her. She had a hunger to connect with God more deeply, and, and I know that there's some of you who are thinking what I was probably thinking. Didn't you just know you know, the churches are here, it's obvious, didn't you just know? And the answer that I want you to remember is, it's just not as obvious. I don't think that most of us who are connected to God, connected to church, understand how foreign it is for people in our community who have never set foot in a church, whose parents didn't take them without any kind of background. You see, Lee had a friend that she went jogging with, and, and this friend, without going into too much detail, this friend was a strong Christian, and her life revolved around church involvement. They would run together. They spent hours together. They even ran a marathon together. And Lee was waiting for her friend at some point to open up that conversation, to invite her to her church. 
And to be fair to this other person, Lee, looking back, Lee said, they were probably intimidated by me. I mean, haven't we all felt intimidated by others and say, oh, they wouldn't be interested? And for Lee, it was awkward to ask. And maybe once they'd been around each other a while, it was more awkward. But she was so anxious to get the invite and to have the talk. Ultimately, her, <clears throat> excuse me, and her family uh, eventually found LifePoint, uh, had gone to a, another church or two before that. But last year, Lee was baptized into Christ at the end of our rooted season. I'm so proud of Scott and Lee for, for not giving up when maybe Christians around them didn't follow those promptings that God gave them. And she told me, I don't want to ever live a life without God. And her experience in her small group, her experience in the church has given her a community that has been life-changing for her. But this underlines, this story underlines what God was doing in this story. He was working on hearts. He was preparing people for a moment, for an event which could radically affect our lives. You see, when we get a nudge to cross the line and to tell someone about Jesus, maybe invite them to something or even draw close to them or serve them, we have to recognize that we're not the only player on the field. God has got our back. He's preparing and working behind the scenes. You know, it would have been great if that was the end of the story. Jonah went to Nineveh. The people were gonna face judgment, but they decided to repent. Jonah gets rescued and then the Ninevites get rescued. But it doesn't end quite that well. The story takes an interesting twist. After God relents, after God says in verse 10 of chapter 3 that I'm not going to bring destruction on the city, you would think that Jonah would say, mission accomplished. That's great. But that's not how he felt. We pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. You see, Jonah is actually ticked off. We really understand why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place, and we understand some incredible insight into the character of God. You know, maybe Jonah was perfect morally. Maybe he had great theology, but then Jonah goes about this and gets mad at God for delivering the Ninevites. And get this, he prayed to the Lord, and this, this next passage is him praying. It's the strangest prayer ever because he talks about how great God is and his displeasure with it. Verse two, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. In other words, God, I knew you were going to do this. Remember when you told me to go there? When you said I knew you were going to do this? That's why I ran. You see, Jonah didn't run from God because he was afraid of the Ninevites. Jonah ran from God because he was afraid that God might do what God does when people are warned and then they turn back to God. He wasn't afraid of the Ninevites. He was afraid that God would act like God. But he wanted justice, at least justice in his eyes. In the New Testament, one of the most beloved stories, whether you've grown up in a church or just grown up in secular society, everyone's heard this. It's the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son was the third story in a group of three stories when God was talking about how God loves, when Jesus was talking about, about how he loves lost people and how they matter to God. But what the prodigal son story is all about is there's an elder brother, there's a younger brother, 
And the younger brother, basically, for those of you who know, uh, goes to his father and says, I want my inheritance now. I want to enjoy it now. And literally, in, the, um, in this passage, what he's saying is, I don't care if you're dead or not. I just want my inheritance and I want to go. And so after a season of wine, women, and song, the younger brother was out of money. He was tending pigs, and he thought, man, if I could just go back home and work for my dad, that would be better than what I'm experiencing now. And so he ultimately came back uh, to his father, and immediately his father ran to him, welcomed with open arms, threw his arms around him, and then ended up at throwing a big party for him. And you see, usually with this story, you would think that as Jesus is telling the story, those who Jesus was talking to, their eyes would be welling with tears and they would be touched by this picture of love and forgiveness. But this group of people who were sitting there, the original listeners were not wiping tears, they were likely offended and I'm gonna get to that. You see, just as he was speaking about, just as much as he was speaking about the younger brother, God was speaking to the elder brother Uh, about the elder brother as much, and to elder brothers like us just as much. You see, when the elder brother came back towards what, what he heard was a party, he was saying, hey, what happened? And someone explained that the younger brother was back. And so when he heard that, the elder brother was furious. He was so angry, he refused to go into the feast. He didn't go to the party. He forced the father to come out and talk to him. Timothy Keller has some great insight on this story where we often are so fixated on the younger brother. He said that there are a lot of people who have an elder brother type of heart. I try hard. I'm obedient. I go to church. I'm consistent. And those people don't deserve it because they haven't done what I've done. You know, if that's the language of your heart, when you're looking at those who are coming to God and getting forgiven, what Keller said is that Jesus is your model, but he's not your savior. You're seeking to be your own savior. Elder brothers obey to get things from God, but God's children obey God to know him and to love him. And the reason I tell you that is like this elder brother mentality, the idea that the Ninevites could just be saved after all the evil they had done or that God would have mercy on them is simply too much for Jonah. You see, is there a little bit of that in some of us? Well, that's how Jonah felt. I come, I come here and I say, repent, and they repent. And God, you're just gonna let them off the hook? And then, and then Jonah makes a statement that's just unbelievable. And if you're curious about what God is like, here's Jonah, who's mad at God, who gives us such a perfect statement about God that's so powerful. And again, he's mad while he's saying it. Just a really weird scripture uh, when you think about it. Jonah chapter four, verse two. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He's saying, I knew the kind of God you are, and I'm mad about it. You're loving, you're merciful, look what you've done. You hear that and say, Jonah, what is that about? What's going on with you? This is so extreme. And then he says in verse three, now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And you think, why does he want to die? Why is he saying that? And you know why he wants to die? It's because he knows now he can't go home. He can't go home because they're going to ask him, Jonah, where you been? Uh, uh, Nineveh. 
Oh, really? What'd you go there for? Well, God, you know, he wanted them to turn around and uh, tell that judgment was coming if they don't get their act together. His friends would be like, oh, that's great, man. Those guys deserve it. So what happened? Well, they repented and God gave them more time and he forgave them. What? You know, Jonah's thinking, I can't go home. My life is over. But then God says to Jonah what we would think only God could say in verse four. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? And he's just like, Jonah, you are right. I'm a loving God. I'm compassionate. I'm slow to anger. And because I am, hello, you're here right now. You failed in what I asked you to do, but because I'm a God of love and compassion who relents, that's why you're here today. You've been a recipient of all those things, and you're angry about these same things with me. How can you be angry about me applying my mercy and love to the Ninevites when I did the same for you? And I ended up saving your life. You're a product of who I am and my character. Well, not to uh, spoil the ending, but Jonah's still not getting it. You see, what he did then is he went out and he found a shade that you know, by the city, he made himself a shelter, and he sat in the shade, and he waited to see what would happen, sat on a hill watching the city to see what was going to happen, and then it gets a little strange. In verse 6, then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, it was some kind of vine, uh, to give shade to his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. I mean, this is just crazy. Jonah was mad, finally got something to be, make him happy, and now he's like, okay, I'm comfortable. Verse 7, But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed on the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. This is called a shirako. It's a a sweeping wind. The temperature rises like 15 to 20 degrees when this wind comes by. And it's, it's really actually quite dangerous to be outside. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah, I'm trying to teach you something. I said before, do you have any right to be angry about my being compassionate to the Ninevites? Now you're angry about this vine dying. You're more angry, Jonah, about losing the vine than you are to what's happening to all these people. But he still doesn't get it. It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. In the end of the chapter, the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it to make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? You see, Jonah, you're concerned about something I gave you. It came and it went. It was temporary and it brought you some comfort. God's saying, Jonah, you're more concerned about the vine than you are about the city of 120,000 people who can't tell their right from their left. And, and what he's saying is, Jonah, they're like children. Jonah, you know me. You know what I like. You, di- you know what I'm like. You didn't have an excuse to run from me, and you knew you couldn't outrun me, but they're like children. Sure, their sin offends me, but half the time they don't even know they're sinning but you had no concern for them. You had all this concern for the vine. Then God, at the end of that passage, said something kind of humorous. He said, you know, they can't tell their right hand from their left. And ends the chapter saying, 
and also many animals. I mean, what? I mean, that's just a strange thing to say. You know, Jonah, there's 120,000 people, and also, hey, there's some cattle too. You know, there's this whole city of people, and, and you're not worried about them, but you're probably just worried about the animals. That's why I think he's bringing that up. You don't care about the people. You don't care if they're slaughtered. God says, should I not be concerned about that great city? And here's what he says to Jonah, and this is where it starts to hit home for you, and it starts to hit home for me. Jonah, you're concerned about all the wrong stuff. Listen carefully. You're concerned that they're not going to get what they deserve, and you're concerned that you're not going to get what you deserve. You think they deserve judgment, and you think that you deserve comfort. Jonah, you know what I'm concerned about? My primary concern is that nobody gets what they actually deserve. That's why I scooped you out of the belly of the fish, even though you deserve to die, Jonah, because I'm a God of love. I'm a God of compassion, and I'm concerned that no one gets what they deserve. Jonah, you're concerned with the wrong stuff. I've invited you, and he's saying this to us. He's invited us. Jonah, I've invited you to be a partner with me and to partner with me to warn a people who are going to get what they deserve, and I don't want that. And suddenly it gets pretty personal because I know there's a lot of that in me. I can get upset, I can be concerned with, and I can even get angry about the traffic around me if I'm in the wrong mood. The traffic that'll be over in seconds, minutes at worst, and I get more concerned about that to the neglect of the people driving around me in traffic who I may give looks to or I may honk at occasionally. I may be more concerned about the traffic than them, people who are going to live forever, somewhere. Do you ever respond emotionally when you're at a restaurant with the server? You're more concerned about the food getting to you on time, that it's hot, uh, that the, the bill works out, and it's only going to be gone in a few minutes Anyway, you're more concerned about the food sometimes to the total neglect of the server who's going to live forever somewhere. You know, in a big picture way, in a big picture way, you and I, we're not unconcerned about people, but we get really good at being generally concerned about the world and people. We want them to know God, but in the moment, in the day-to-day, in the event that's happening, what's most concerning to God gets overshadowed by what's most concerning to me. You think about the people that we overlook and neglect and never spend the time to relate to that are going to live forever, somewhere. They get neglected because of stuff that is so fleeting, that is so temporary. We get more upset about the manicure than the manicurist, get even more fed up about the inefficiency of people in our office, people, you know, that irritates us because they don't use their time well or, or they distract us, and we get more upset about that than concerned about the fact that they're people who will live forever, somewhere. There's a little Jonah in all of us. And you see, we live in a culture right now we live in a season right now where we're more concerned about being right or venting or labeling than we are listening and loving. One of the most challenging parts of this pandemic is people have been home 
is how people use social media. The vitriol that people can have towards one another or others who think differently. I was listening to a pastor, uh, Mark Sayers, an Australian pastor recently, talk about how now people are more influenced by networks, that's like the online community, social networks, kind of side to side with how connected the world is. They're more influenced by networks than they are by institutions from the top down. Because the social networks and that connection online, it's actually reshaping who we are and it's shaping our own morality. And what he was saying is in a world that's unstable, in a world that's chaotic, there's a tremendous religious opening in the works. But what happens and we've seen it, is that politics, tribalism, it feels like religion for some people. There's an openness to God that people are filling with an alignment to this world. You see people, Christians included, get caught up in, it, in conspiracy theories and, and turning down you know, kind of what the experts are saying or, or, or not listening to the institutions and you have a divided world of people who know everything. And what's troubling is believers who are filling this religious and spiritual impulse with what's temporary. Are you more concerned about a social position or a political platform than you are about the call of God in your life? Are you more concerned with that your opinion is no noted or the person that you're giving that opinion to knows that they're loved. I heard recently that the measure of spiritual maturity is that when what concerns God is most concerning to me, when God's primary concerns become my primary concerns, I become more like my Father in heaven. And this message to Jonah here is, Jonah, you're just concerned with all the wrong stuff. And I know he looks at my life, and I know he looks at yours and says the same thing oftentimes. In this talk about failing forward, we don't see Jonah's failure in his execution. He ended up doing what God had said. In a big, in, in a big way, he was obedient. The failure we want to learn from is that he failed to share the heart of God. He failed to be concerned with the things that are of concern to God. Remember, it takes a wise person to learn from the mistakes, but it takes an even wiser person to learn from the mistakes of Jonah, of others. Can you learn from the mistakes of Jonah? What if those in your community, whether that be Elk Grove, Sacramento, Wilton, Galt, wherever that is, could those in your community who God's been working behind the scenes on in their hearts May they be witnesses to your character, to your, to your maturity, to your heart, to your availability, and your concern for them. Can God do something big through you this week or this next month in a way that he hasn't done before? Can we just lift this time up to God and say, God, I want your concerns to be my concerns. Would you pray with me? Lord, it's humbling to read your word and to see ourselves in the pages of scripture. Oftentimes, we think you're blessed to have us <clears throat> in your life rather than our complete dependence on you. Lord, I pray that we could be mindful this week 
in, in the moment, in the conversations we have, as we're online, as we're, as we're uh, having a difficult discussion, that we can be recognizing that the people we're talking to were created to live forever somewhere, Lord, and may we be partners with you as you do your work behind the scenes to influence them. It's in the name of Jesus we lift this up. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.